This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Just like that, we're back. Another edition, but not strictly of the Late Kick Extra podcast. This is a very special feature. I don't think we've ever done this. But I told producer Jordan the other day, not to be confused with producer Jesse, I said, Jordan, I did an interview the other day, and it was so good, I actually had the interviewer send me the audio file. A lot of you heard this. Many more of you have not, though. And I thought this was so full of relative information or relevant information for our audience that I actually want to give you guys a chance to listen to this because I think it answers a lot of questions about everything from the origins of this show to how we do this show to why we want it to be different to how we make it different and a few more things. And I probably got myself in trouble for going too deep on some of these topics, but that's okay. When you have question about whether you've put something out that is inappropriate, what you want to do is really blast it out using your own podcast feed. So if the high level mustaches have a problem with this, at least you'll get entertained out of it. So here's what this is. This is Ty Richardson. He's a guy out of Arkansas, had me on his podcast the other day. We went, oh man, a good hour or so about all sorts of different things. I really enjoyed this. I think you'll really enjoy this. This is not the Late Kick Extra podcast. We'll still have that separately this week, but give this a listen. Let me know what you think. If you like this, especially since we're in the off season, I can put more and more of these sorts of things in this feed because I do interviews multiple times a week, but this one really, really, I think you'll get a lot out of. So take a listen. This is last week and appreciate the guys and Ty Richardson for sending us the audio. It is season two, episode three of Trusting the Process. My guest, Josh Pate, 24-7 sports, has really taken the college football world by storm in the last year or so. You can follow him on Twitter at Late Kick Josh. Now, Josh, you always deliver on Late Kick, so I'm expecting you to deliver on this edition of Trusting the Process, man. Look, um, typically what I look for is all the credit and none of the blame, and you've just totally reversed things on me here. So I'm going to try not to fumble things horribly, uh, but if I do, I do want the listeners to understand I'm a nighttime guy, and you and I are recording in the morning, so that's called built-in excuse-making, and that's another talent that they've taught me in this industry. So now that we've got all the caveats out of the way, yeah, I'm ready to rock and roll. I've listened, I've talked to a few of her friends, got some relatives that, that came with some backstory. So I have, a, I have a pretty good working knowledge of what I'm walking into, but there is some stuff I, that I don't know about. I, I kind of want to start, I know Columbus, Georgia, now you're in Nashville, but is, is that originally kind of the Georgia area? Is that where you grew up? Yes, that concentrated area kind of around Columbus, Georgia, Phoenix City, Alabama is right across the Chattahoochee River. Uh, Harris County, Georgia is one county north of where Columbus is. That's where my actual home uh, growing up was. It's funny, the further I've gotten away from what I call home, I've learned, especially around the South, there are people who truly just believe the Chattahoochee is a fictitious river in an Alan Jackson song. They don't know that it's an actual river that divides Alabama and Georgia. But I am here to confirm to you, 
That is a real life river. I've swam in it many times. Arkansas fans love playing that music video after wins or, or getting up for game day. I don't know why. The big Alan Jackson fan here myself. That's what I grew up listening to on the lake when I was a kid. But now I know now I learned something new. That's a, it's not just an Alan Jackson thong. It is an actual thing. Now, what I did find interesting, I was like, Josh, he talks SEC up and down all day long. Surely his first SEC game was featuring an SEC school, but that's not the case. Your first game was Georgia Tech and UNC. Can you give me any details on that, or was that too young to remember it? No, I remember it. I I can't give you necessarily a great reason why that was my first game. I did not grow up, you know, with the financial means to just go to games every weekend. I always envied a lot of my friends whose dad played here or whose mom went there. And it seemed like everyone had an inn where they could go to a tailgate in Athens or, you know, they had a friend with season tickets or a box in Tuscaloosa or Auburn. I was just the dude who had to sit home in Harris County and watch it on TV. And that was okay by me. I didn't know what I was missing, though. And so I had a buddy who lived in the next neighborhood over, and they were Georgia Tech fans. We're about an hour or so south of Georgia Tech where I grew up. And so we go there one day. It's just a random game. It was North Carolina, Georgia Tech. But that was my first live college football game. I didn't really go with a rooting interest. It was I was totally neutral. And that experience, it really ignited something in me. Not my fandom. I was already a fan. But it ignited my passion for seeing it live because I realized how different the in-person experience is. And I had always grown up hearing people talk about how – unique college atmospheres were and I didn't get it until that day and subsequently of course I made my way to a Georgia game or an Alabama game or an Auburn game and you know respectfully those are different worlds even than what I experienced at Grant Field that day but I mean that has been that has been the biggest thrill of my career now as you fast forward several years is not only do you get to do college football for a living and talk about it Every weekend, I actually get to call it my job, believe it or not, to go to games, and I opt out of the press box every week. I have, I have CBS give me sideline passes because I have no interest in sitting in an enclosed environment. I want to be out there in the middle of everything. I want to be out there exposed to whatever elements the crowd and players are in, but also I want to actually be able to take in that atmosphere from field level because that is what I remember thinking when I went to my first game. I remember thinking, I'm up here. I wonder what it's like down there. And now that I get to experience what it's like down there, it was everything I thought it would be and more. And I have no interest in being anywhere else. Josh, you got to go to some spectacular games this year. I remember texting you midseason. You were thinking about the Baylor atmosphere, and I told you about sailgating. You got to go to Michigan, Michigan State, and East Lansing, Arkansas, Texas a and I mean, you took in some incredible games this fall. I had the thrill of getting to go to Wisconsin and Iowa for my first Big Ten game, which was special up there in Madison doing jump around. I saw Arkansas get clapped by Georgia and Athens, which was fun until the game actually started. Still had a great weekend down there. For those who are still on the fence about traveling for away games or traveling for a maybe a non-conference game that they haven't been to outside, like my first Big Ten game, I mean, I feel like you're the the, the perfect prototype to say this is why you do it. Look, if you can afford it, if you can even reasonably afford it, I am a big believer in buying memories. If you've ever watched Late Kick, you know I just wear the same shirt every week. So I am not a guy who spends a whole lot of money. 
but there are certain compartments of life that even if I didn't do this for a living, if I had enough disposable income, given what I know now about this game, I would make all the road trips. I don't ever talk to people who regret spending money to go on a memorable college football road trip. You can buy a treadmill. I mean, you can spend money on all sorts of things that just sit around and collect dust. The memories are what matter. You don't go to your family reunion, sit out on the dock on Lake Weedowie and talk about the new kitchenware that you bought. You do talk about a road trip that you took. Memories are so invaluable. And I remember, you know, for example, in week, I want to say it was week three, it was Auburn at Penn State. I had heard for so long what it was like to go to a whiteout environment at Penn State. So naturally you start thinking to yourself, so oftentimes in life, if something gets hyped up that much, it just fails to deliver. And I went there and not only did it not fail, I would say that environment surpassed even what my expectation level, uh, all, all already lofty, had been. And I remember thinking as the countdown was leading up to kickoff, I was looking around and I was saying, I cannot believe that people get to experience this, and I get to experience this, and I made it my mission, basically, when I got back home to tell folks down south, you know, you guys have heard about this, and yeah, you, we in the south, we think we have the market cornered yeah. on all these great environments, and there are some great ones down here, but that, what I experienced in week three up there, that took a back seat to nothing, and then two weeks, three weeks after that, I'm out in Dallas for the Red River Shootout, and I had always heard about that game but I'd never had a reason to be at that game. And I, I go, and it's the 11 a.m. kickoff, and the crowd split 50-50. I think that was the best regular season game I saw. That was easily a top three atmosphere that I experienced, certainly the most unique atmosphere that I experienced. And what's great about Dallas, and I don't want to get too far on a tangent, is that's the first stadium I had been in that had no suites, no luxury suites at all. And what that means is it doesn't matter – if you had to scrape together your last two dimes to buy a ticket or your Mark Cuban, who I've stood next to a majority of the game, you are out in the same stadium. You are sitting on the same bleacher seat and everybody there is into it. There is no wine and cheese crowd. There's no bow tie sweater vest crowd there. Everybody's into it. And, oh, it was so awesome. I could, I could literally spend the next two hours just talking about the games I went to. But I will tell you, if you're ever on the fence, and it's not going to be irresponsible spending to do it, go on the road trips. And I would also highly encourage you to take as many videos and pictures as you can and also do what I do, document all your experiences. I have a big file on my laptop where I just I put every little minor detail from awesome. what, what the flight was like to where I stayed to how many people I met to what the game was like because I want to be able to have such vivid recall down the road you know, five years from now, about what it was like in week eight for Tennessee versus Alabama. So, Josh, I'm in a stage in my life where I'm making a little more money. I have a little more freedom. And I told myself after this year going to Athens and going to uh, Madison that I'm going to go to one during Arkansas's bye week. I'm going to go to one big non-conference game every year. And I'm also going to go to a road Arkansas game. I think I'm going to go to the big house for Michigan, Michigan State, and then go to Auburn for Auburn, Arkansas, which I think they have a great chance of competing Everything you laid out is perfect. Penn State is eventually going to make my list. We had a former producer here that is a graduate in Happy Valley. Loved it, so I'm going to make a wideout eventually. Now, Josh, I want to go back. You were talking about kind of your financial state growing up, and I'm, I was about as middle class as it gets. I was never hurting for a meal, but I, I wouldn't – I mean, I went to private school and stuff, but I wasn't like – my dad made me work and normal stuff, but 
I've talked to your mom. I, I didn't get a chance to talk to your dad, but what, what did your parents do growing up, and what was early childhood like for Josh Pate? Oh, it was very good. Uh, much like you, we didn't grow up with extravagant wealth, but you know, if there were ever tough times, we were insulated from it. And so that's about, that's about as good as you can possibly ask for. Plus, my social circle was all the same. So we were all living the same lifestyle. So to us, we were just all kind of equal. Um, there were not, there were not a lot of, there were not a lot of uh, seven and eight figure kids walking the hallways of Harris <laughs> County Carver Middle School or Mountain Hill Elementary School up there in Harris County. But it was very good. Um, there was a lot of appreciation for sports in my household. It was a faith based household. But also, you know, looking back, I realized how rare this is. I didn't have anything forced on me. And at the time, you don't know that because you're a kid. But, you know, growing up now and having a little age about myself, I've got some friends who may be in a walk of life professionally that they're not crazy about, but it's one that they kind of got nudged down the road of by a parent. And then I look at my upbringing, and I didn't have that happen. Make no mistake, I had encouragement, but I did not get forced down any road. Now, it may have taken me a little bit longer to figure things out, but that's the key. I figured them out. Again, not without love and help, but I figured them out independently, and I was allowed to do that, which is a very, very key part of what I think shaped my upbringing. And as a result, you know, I'm able to sit here and talk to you today and say I'm doing what I love. It's totally at the intersection of what I think my God-given talents are and my passion certainly is, and I don't really have any regrets about that. Uh, and to me, if you check those boxes, I mean, that's, that's all you could ask for in an upbringing, but it was very, very fun. I mean, it was, a, it was a, it was a place there in West central Georgia where, especially if you're growing up in the era we did pre nine 11, you're growing up in the era we did. I think you'll look back on that era like 50, hundred years from now and probably label that as the best time to have been a kid in our country, maybe ever, but certainly in generations. Josh, how old are you? Give me uh, you... thirty. I'm 35. Okay, so you you've only got eight years almost. We're not too far apart. Um, but I'm, <laughs> I'm hearing you talk about your parents and not forcing. And again, I got a chance to talk with your mom a little bit. But that's one of the things I really appreciate about my parents is my dad. My dad and my grandpa are both pharmaceutical reps. One was for uh, Pfizer. Dad worked for Glaxo and works for another business now. And and I kind of thought going to college, I was going to be an accountant, good pay, steady paycheck, whatever. And I called my dad first semester. I was like, yo, do I have to do this? It's like, no, you can do whatever you want. And you just got four years and you got to get out. And I said, all right, well, I'm doing this sports journalism thing. And here we are. Um, one of the things I did learn is uh, apparently you were a great kid. Uh, you weren't a problem child in any way. You made good decisions. But you tormented your little sister. Josh, come on, man. You're supposed to be the nice older brother. What's up with that? That's called character building. And so it gets labeled different things, but I will just maintain that I think that any kind of toughness and resolve that exists in my sister was developed in her formative years by me. So, you know, if she listens to this, for example, I think the two words that would most readily come to mind are, you're welcome. <laughs> we are talking with Josh Pate, 24-7 Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at the Late Kick Josh. You can... Watch Late Kick live Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursdays at 7 o'clock Central. Josh, I'm also supposed to inquire about a garbage man and a sock ball. I don't know if those two are intertwined or, or what the origin of that is, but I'm very curious about the garbage man and a sock ball. Oh, well, listen, 
as you should be. So every Tuesday, where I'm from in Harris County, first off, prisoners on detail are how you gather sanitation. So I, in the summer, would recruit several of my friends, and we would ride to the top of my neighborhood via bicycle. This was entertainment for us, by the way, every Tuesday, and we would wait for the garbage truck to come down Fortson Road. And when he came, somewhere between like 9 and 11 a.m., we would, on our bikes, follow him. It was very hilly terrain in my neighborhood. So it's tough on the quads and whatnot. But we followed them, and we would, if we caught up to them when they stopped at a house, we would, like, dump the trash in the back of the truck for him. Now, since then, there are now signs on the side of every garbage truck in Harris County that makes it illegal for those prisoners to interact with anyone. But back then, it was the Wild West of sanitation in Harris County. And so you got a bunch of kids, anywhere from age like 8 to 14, on bikes, a bunch of dogs following us too, just following the garbage truck around the neighborhood there. And so we would we would view it as one of the highlights of our week that we got to, I guess we viewed it as giving back to the community. Uh, in reality, we were just putting everyone's lives in danger. But we actually had relationships with the prisoners. And so then... We would have someone that was designated every week to have some kind of snack tray or platter or whatnot ready. So our, our neighborhood was just a loop. So when they made their way all the way around, my house was the last stop in the entire neighborhood. We would have waiting for them there any, anything from lemonade, a cookie platter or whatever. So it became the highlight of the prisoner's week as well as the highlight of our week to come in our neighborhood on Trash Collection Tuesday. I still look back fondly on that. Like that is one of the absolute highlights of my childhood was chasing the garbage truck around our neighborhood. You mentioned sock ball though. There's no way I could convey to you in audio form how serious this was. Just please understand it was high stakes. So we had a living room. My house was not overly huge, but we had a big cathedral ceiling. So it was like 20 feet high. Oh, wow. So you could play baseball in our, in our living room. And uh, if you constructed the game the right way. So we had a sock, you know, it was rolled up, and, and we could make that thing cut. We could throw change-ups with it. We could throw sliders with it. And so we had, we had our living room perfectly proportioned. We had rules tailored to it, and we played a one-on-one game, one out per inning instead of three. We had it lined off and everything. So we had a full, fully developed game in, in the theme of baseball, but we called it sockball for my living room. So we played that as kids. We never stopped playing it. So we get into high school. All of us play in high school baseball. I mean, we, we are a playoff team at Harris County there pretty much every year. And yet on Friday nights, when we would get off school and we would be done with practice, like Friday nights, we would have a massive like tournament softball kind of party at my house. And we would get like massive amounts of pizza delivered. Girls would come over. I'm not making any of this up. Fans would come over, much to the behest of my mother. Fans would come over. And we would, like, pack my living room, and we would have full, like, bracketed tournaments of softballs. And there were six-inning games, one out per inning. So they take probably, like, 20 minutes per game to complete. You're talking about the most fierce competition, including high school baseball, that any of us partook in. It was very serious. There, there would be fights in our living room. It's field of it dreams was, in your living room, sounds like. Yes, yes, living room of dreams, if you will. Um, but this was – it was the height of competition – in my childhood, and that counts football, that counts baseball. Our high school baseball coach ended up coming over there a couple of times. Wow. 
Is he- and uh, really, really didn't like that his pitchers were putting added fatigue on their arms, and he didn't know about it. But yeah, that was a that was a great time. Now, was it more competitive than ping pong back in the day, or did it did it dwarf that? I think it dwarfed it, but I don't want to discount the competitive nature of ping pong. But it did dwarf ping pong only because there was so much, I guess, individuality and uniqueness to your sockball game relative to ping pong. And so sockball, it was ours too. Like like many other people could play ping pong. But when you walked around high school and you talked about sockball, it was kind of like a closed society because it was invite only and it was a very closed society. And so we, it was just ours. It was uniquely ours. We did everything but get like lower back tattoos to signify it. So based on sockball, based on you being a baseball player, it sounds like you were the Zach Morris of your high school. Were you, uh, what, what was Josh Payton? If I would have met Josh Payton high school, would I have liked him? Was he a douche? What, what do you put? What kind of box do you put yourself in in high school? No, I was very much. I, I think I was very likable. I mean, if if I will be so bold, I'll tell you what we did not do. Um, my grade specifically, like my class, every high school has cliques. You can't get around that. Every every society has cliques. I think we were probably, from my experience before and after my class, the most immune to that. I'm not saying we didn't have it, but what a few of us who may have been in social positions of stature in my class did is we made it a point to sort of break away from that. And so even though, you know, we are the athletes in the school and and typically you would view them through a certain stereotypical lens, you know, we made it a point to just hang out with everybody. So you got the group over here who knows everything about computers and hacking. I go sit with them at lunch. It just, it made no difference to us, but we made it a point. We made that our purpose. And so in turn, we didn't have a lot of the internal drama and dynamics in my class. We had a pretty big class. Mm-hmm. We just didn't have what the, the class above me and below me had. But I'll also tell you what else I learned. It was the value of individual individuality. I mean, I did, I did not at any point uh, in my upbringing start molding myself or fashioning my interests after what was popular. And the best case example I can give you is my favorite band when I was in high school was Fleetwood Mac. Let's go. A majority, I mean, a majority of their material had already been recorded before I was born. And yet, you know, I got, uh, what, what, early 2000s. I mean, so you know it's on the radio then, and it's not like I didn't like that. But I would never hesitate to tell you, dude, my favorite stuff was all written before I was born. And you may have someone who pokes fun at you every now and then. I couldn't have cared less about it. Movies, taste in music, obviously, we're foregoing high school parties to play softball on Friday night. So we didn't really care about what the scene was. We just kind of created our own. Did that lead to the, the trying to make beats and rapping in class? I was also told that you and some buddies used to do that on desk. I fancy myself as a percussionist. I think one of the greatest lyrics in all of music is Rhythm Carries All the Action by Gloria Estefan, and, and she did the best version of that song. I'm not saying she wrote it, but I, um, yes, I did that, and it wasn't, it wasn't that, I think it was nervous energy. Like, in, if I did not do that, if I didn't constantly beat on a desk, I probably would have been doing something else that was a lot worse and got me in trouble a lot more. So, I think it was a good valve with which to release nervous childhood energy. You brought up baseball a little bit. I've yet to touch on kind of your sports background. So you guys are playing Griffin High School back in the day. Your head coach got ejected from a prior game, and he didn't 
necessarily follow the rules in regards to that. Can you uh, enlighten our listeners what he did in the woods? Well, I want to I want to see how specific I'd like to get on this. Oh gosh. So so why don't you tell me what you know and then I will go as far as I can. Okay. So I was told that your head coach was suspended for this game, but you guys really wanted to beat Griffin High School. So he dressed up as camouflage in the woods and was reciting calls and plays and just kind of letting your assistant coach what to do. Is there is there more than that? Is there more details that I need to hear about this? Uh, no, this is this is accurate, yes. Okay. So uh, a coach who, who shall remain nameless absolutely did this. I mean, listen, Bobby Valentine once got kicked out of a major league game and popped back in the Mets dugout with a fake mustache on. So we did not really even view this as all that unethical. We didn't think we were skirting any boundaries. And everybody in Harris County has camouflage. That's like our version of a tuxedo. So we were all equipped. Everyone was equipped, including the coaching staff. So, yeah, we go play Griffin. And he's out, but he's not really out. And I cannot remember if it was signals we used or actual radio technology that we used. I will suffice it to say there were no important calls made in that game by assistant coaches that were not first approved of uh, from the wooded area beyond the uh, left field line. Okay. That's a, I, I can only imagine high school seeing that if I was a fan. Just the, the reaction on my face would be pretty, uh, pretty incredible. So let's... Let, me give you, let me give you one more, though. I mean, this same high school coach, we're, we're going to play, I want to say it was Jordan High School there in Columbus one day. We're going to play them, and it's cold. I don't care if it's 70 degrees in December. Down in Georgia, when baseball season comes, when you open the season, it will always be windy and cold. Mm-hmm. It's just the, way, just the way atmospheric science works down there. So it, it predictably, it's like 43 degrees, and it's drizzly and raining sideways. So we're headed towards this game, and this was back during an era where you could still treat freshmen however you wanted to. So we stopped the bus. We're not even there yet. We stopped the bus on the side of Highway 116 in Hamilton, Georgia, and uh, he calls for the freshmen to come up to the front of the bus and he says, go get me some firewood. And they start laughing, and he doesn't even crack a smile. He says, go get me some firewood. And so that's what he did. He just sent the freshmen out into the woods to bring him firewood. They had no clue what to get. They didn't know if they needed pine, oak, did it already need to be chopped down. And so they ended up dragging a whole tree onto the bus. And in the walkway, all of this is a fire hazard. In the walkway, we just had a tree that we took with us to Jordan High School. That's that same coach. There are a lot of stories about that coach. I had my own show on the high school news at Harris County High School, and it was uh, live. Well, it, it had been live. What made them change the format is I had him on the show one morning, and he just proceeds to use in any kind of language he wants to. Oh, gosh. Uh, I don't know if he didn't realize the show was going out to the whole school or he didn't care that it was going out to the whole school, but the adult did not bear the brunt of the punishment there. Your boy here bore the brunt of the punishment as, as all of a junior in high school. So, yes, there are, there are many a book who could be, that could be written on that coaching staff and that coach in general. Golly. All right, let's move on from high school, Josh. Um, and I honest, you know, I told you there's some stuff I know, there's some stuff I don't. Did you go to school anywhere post-high school, or did you just kind of start working after? Well, a little bit of both. So I went to Columbus State University on the Hope Scholarship in Georgia. That's the – the lottery-based scholarship system for anyone who maintains at least a B average in high school. And so I got that, and I went to Columbus State, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had really no strong idea of purpose, of identity, the things that you really 
sometimes don't have figured out at that age, but hopefully you do. Well, I didn't have those figured out. So I realized I was wasting time and I was wasting money. And so I stopped after a couple of semesters or after a couple of years. And I went and started working at a fabric warehouse in Columbus. David and Rothschild, I, right? That's exactly what, that's exactly where that was. And, um, Here's what I did figure out. I figured out I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. So that was one thing I did get straight. Uh, but there were a lot of a lot of formative years of my life around that time. But I eventually did get back in school and finish. So I graduated from Columbus State, which pales in comparison uh, to a lot of the a lot of the bios that you get in our industry. Everyone's from Northwestern or Syracuse or Georgia, and I just say, uh, yeah, I'm a Cougar. And they say, oh, oh, you went to Houston. That's interesting. No, I went to Columbus State. <laughs> but, like, that's what makes this thing great, right? Is I mean, I went to Arkansas, but it's not – it pales in comparison to Northwestern, Syracuse, and Missouri. And, and, and I have some friends that went to each of those institutions, but there's also some cocky you-know-whats that went to each of there, and they're not much better than SL. They just – they think they are. That's why – and that's what a great – and what's – Awesome about your story, Josh, is while you're working in this fabric company, you're realizing, one, what you don't want to do with your life, like I kind of was my first semester doing the accounting stuff, and two, you latched on to a certain guy that worked at ESPN, now heads up the Fox Sports Radio, and that is Colin Cowherd. And I love Cowherd. He is great. I wish he'd talk more college football. He's more now NFL and professional sports just because based on his marketing and based on his listeners, but... That's your your guy that you're like, man, this guy really likes what he loves to do. And that's kind of, I, based on what I've heard and based on what I've heard you say, it seems like that kind of sparked everything. Well, it did. It was a very, very big driving force. And I, I want to tell people who listen to Colin Cowherd now or who are familiar with him now, his his format was much different back then. He was the only guy, as far as I could hear, on national radio that talked college football extensively. And he was new at that point at ESPN radio when I would have been listening to him. And so I would listen to him every morning. I mean, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. That was a very, very critical time of the day because you would get in and you would get through your morning caffeine high and you would unload the freight truck. And your whole, your, the whole time you're looking forward to 10 a.m. Because if you can get to 10 a.m., he's going to carry you to lunch. And then when you get back from lunch, you're just running out the clock till you leave. And that's kind of the way your day was structured. And so I would listen to Colin Cowherd. And what I realized is how differently he went about approaching his craft than everyone else I listened to. And that's not to speak ill of everyone else, but it is to complement his individuality and his uniqueness. You could clearly tell there was a style that was all his. And that approach appealed to me, his formatting, his delivery, it appealed to me. And I, unbeknownst to even myself at the time, I kind of started to craft a lot of the way that I viewed sports and learning to observe them instead of just watching them. Some of it, I would even venture to say a lot of it was molded after kind of what I heard, and I called it observational listening as well, what I observed through listening to him and, and him doing what he did. But that's also the time where I started to actually grasp the concept that you could do what you love for a living, which I never got before. That sounds very hyperbolic, but that's reality. I grew up thinking that your job is always going to be your job. So, so whatever I end up doing for a living, that's going to be something that I, I tolerate at best and I hate at worst. 
but I love college football. That's just something that's going to be a weekend thing for me. It only then started to dawn on me that if you have the ability and you have the grit and the passion, you may actually be able to do something in this line of work. It wasn't until years later that I finally, you know, got the ability to be on air myself. But that was that was sort of the spark for a lot of different changes that happened for me. We're talking with Josh Pate, twenty four seven Sports at Late Kick. Josh, so my timeline of the fabric to the, the TV station, the radio, or maybe it was vice versa. Now to twenty four seven Sports, it's a little uncertain. I feel like I've gotten bits and pieces. But Josh, walk us through what was your initial first job in this industry. So I'm trying to shut you off here because there's a there's a leaf blower outside. So my first job here here's how this ended up unfolding. I would in the afternoons listen to a feed out of Columbus, Georgia, uh, WIOL. It was the ESPN radio affiliate, and there was an afternoon drive show there that would come on, and I, I started listening to it, and that's kind of how I wrapped up my work day. And so you know, around the time that we were just discussing, I figure. Look, I don't have a family member or a relative that works in this business. I don't have a college degree, period, at this time. I don't have any connections. The only way that I'm going to be able to, to get my foot in the door is just to cold call my way in. And so I started badgering the program director there at the ESPN radio affiliate, who was also the host of the afternoon drive show. I wasn't asking him for a job. I mean, I, that was still well out of the scope of what I thought was possible. I just wanted to be able to come in and observe because I'd never seen live production. I'd never seen that side of the curtain before. And finally, he answered me and he said, yeah, you can come in here. And so I started coming in there a couple of days a week and just watching the show. And one day, his co-host, with not much advanced warning, called in sick. And he, uh, he said, look, I got a mic here. I mean, if you want to hop on, Holy hop cow. on. Yeah. And, and you didn't have time to be nervous or anything like that. It's just hop in and go, which is probably the best way for it to happen. And so I, I jumped in, and it's an afternoon drive show. It's caller-based. It's in the middle of the college football season. I mean, that was the most fun I had ever had, and it felt so natural. And I'll tell you why it felt natural. One, one thing that I had learned from listening to a speaker uh, a couple of years earlier was you gotta learn how you got to learn the difference between spending your time and investing your time. And I did a time inventory exercise of how I went about my day. And I looked at all the time that was spent versus the time that was invested. And I realized a lot of the time I was spending, in other words, time that you're, you're wasting on something you don't get back, was just driving around in my truck. Because I was doing that, going to class, going to work. And, and so I realized there's about an hour and a half per day that I'm in this Toyota Tundra here that I'm not really using to better myself. I'm just listening to music. And so I started to hit the mute button, and I just started to pretend that I was on radio, and I would just practice for hours a week. And I didn't really know what I was practicing for, but I got myself to be halfway decent. And when I got put on air that day, he thought I had lied to him. After the show was over, he asked me, where have you worked before? I told him I haven't ever done anything in radio. Well, he thought I was lying because it sounded like I had gotten so many repetitions. Well, that was because I had. I had just done it away from a live mic. I had done it in the driver's seat of my truck. But I give everyone that advice now. When I do consultations, which I do a lot this time of year especially, I'll tell a lot of kids, you, you're making the mistake of thinking that someone has to put you in a fancy-looking studio and you got to have noise cancellation technology and you got to have a red light on in front of you. 
if you got an empty room right now, you, you got a practice field. And if you've got an idea in your mind and a working voice, you've got a practice field. Go get to work out of the spotlight where no one can see you. Go screw up. Go work out all the kinks. And fortunately, I did that to where I certainly wasn't a finished product then, nor am I now, but I had enough functionality about myself to where I could hold my own. And they never took me off air after that day. I was on radio uh, every week after that. Well, it pisses me off because you never use a filler in your show. And I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and there's not just one. So, And you do the same thing I do, Josh, because whether it was the speech that I gave at my buddy's wedding this weekend or just thinking about a segment for the next day, for the next day. trying to walk through it and stuff, I thought I was the only one to do that on the road, but you definitely did it before I did. So I think that's a... Uh, Pretty cool. So they don't take you off the air. Are you initially featured with the guy in drive time, or do they put you in another spot? How did that work out? Yeah, I uh, I appeared alongside the guy in drive time, uh, and then we eventually got to the point where when he went on vacation, I just filled in with hosting duties, and that happened fairly quickly, actually. And so, of course, you have this grand idea of what your show is going to look like, and you're going to revolutionize the radio industry, and then Someone puts that mic in your hand and you got to drive the bus and you realize how hard it is to anchor a show and to host a show. Um, you know, you grow up and you listen to it. You think, oh, it's just talking about sports. That's the tip of the iceberg. And if they put you in the co-hosting chair, maybe it's a little bit easier. When you got to ride that thing solo, that is a different world. That, but I'll tell you this. I also resolved in my mind around that time to make it my mission to be able to perfect that because I realized how hard it was to solo anchor and keep people's attention. Uh, it was the second part there. If you can ever do that effectively, you could, you become virtually irreplaceable because there are so few people who can execute that at a high level. And I've worked on it ever since, but I did that for uh, two or three years. And I get a call one day that I let go to voicemail because I didn't recognize the number. And I listen to my voicemail after I'm leaving the station that day. And it's a guy that is the general manager of the WLTZ NBC 38 station, TV station down there in Columbus. And he said, you don't know me. We've never met or anything, but I listen to you every day on my drive home. And me and my sales general manager, we have an idea. We want to do a weeknight college football show here locally. And we think you're the perfect guy for it. Would you be interested in that? And I've never been on TV. I've barely been on radio. And I, I told him that. He said, look, we'll make it work. You know, we're willing to take a chance here. And so I ended up doing that and, and also ended up being their sports anchor, uh, ended up elevating to news anchor. After a couple of years, I want you to keep in mind, I have not completed my schooling as I'm being offered this job. Oh. So still qualified would be uh, the understatement of the year. Uh, but I ended up with a huge break there. And I, I'm forever grateful for that. But not only did I parlay that into being able to experience the full gamut of production, you know, live television production is a whole different animal. I was able to see that. I was able to learn formatting. I was able to learn everything from terminology to the psychology behind television. I was able to learn all that. And that really was a huge benefit for me because we get down the road a little ways and my contract is coming up. And I certainly know I don't want to be a news anchor for the rest of my life. But I also knew that whew, it's kind of it's going to be really hard for me to do what I want to do. Because what I wanted to do is what I'm doing right now. I wanted to have my own college football show. 
That's what I wanted to focus on all year long. I wanted to make it the biggest college football brand in the country, and I wanted to totally call my shot. Obviously, you had zero leverage in my position at the time to do any of those things. But what I did know, the day I saw Facebook Live and YouTube Live for the first time, I knew the opportunity was there. Those were barriers. I mean, I, I can't stress enough to your listeners how huge the barriers were that were broken down by the concept of live web streaming and live digital media streaming. Because all of a sudden, overhead and distribution, which were the two things that were always the gatekeepers that kept people like me out, they were gone. You didn't need overhead anymore. You didn't need multi-million dollar studios and equipment. Your phone was your equipment. The distribution you didn't need multi-million dollar contracts with local stations all over the country, and you didn't need the relationships. You're following the internet. That was your distribution. I just needed to be able to get a product out. And so I, after our newscast every night, I started going over in our control room, and I just started going on Facebook Live and talking about college football. I got in trouble for it because obviously you can't be doing that. Why are you on the clock the- doing this? I'm paying you, yeah. Sure. Yeah. You know, you know, the old drill and that's fine. I mean, I would have said the same thing if I was the GM there. Well, it comes time for my contract to be renewed and I was not going to renew. We got down to the last day actually. And I told the general manager there and the news director, as we sat in the office, they were asking me, what are you going to do? Like, how are you just walking away? We're offering you really good money, which they were way more money than I'd ever made. And I said, I appreciate it. Please don't mistake me. And I appreciate the opportunity you've given me, but this is not ultimately what I want to do. And so they asked, what do you you want to do? And I told them. And so they said, well, obviously you understand we cannot allow you to do that as an employee of the station, but here's a potential workaround. And the workaround was stay on board, keep anchoring news, but work 1099. So work as an independent contractor. Now you're going to make less money, far less money, but was like 300 bucks a month, right, Josh? Sure. Sure. It was no money, no money at all, but it was worth its weight in gold because the trade-off was I got that studio and I got that control room for three nights a week to do with whatever I wanted. And I used that to build a brand new YouTube channel. And we called it late kick same as it is now. And we did it three nights a week at 8 Eastern, 7 Central, the exact same way we do it now. And we were doing a full-length live college football show from a fully functioning TV studio, which is a huge leg up on any kind of competition you have out there. Mm -hmm. And we made that thing an immediate success, got a lot of traction, and got a call about a year and a half, two years later from CBS and 24-7. Shannon Terry called me and said, come do that for us. How about that? And I said, well... How about you send me a contract and show me where to sign? Yeah, I one of the actually, I'm going to be honest. The reason that I started this podcast is because of the wins and losses podcast that I listen with Clay Travis and Shannon Terry on the way to Nashville, Tennessee, where you're currently at. And I'm listening to his story. That dude, you talk about success. Anything he touches turns to gold. And that guy just works and works and works. Rivals, CBS and 24-7 Sports on three. I know he's got some other things that he's involved with as well, but you get a call and um and I've I've talked to Trey Biddy about this, who you know and, and, and just kind of that that whole setup and everything. When you get a call from someone you've admired for so long, like Josh, I'm lucky in the sense where the guys that I grew up reading in this state, the guys that I grew up listening to on radio and the guys that grew up doing T V and gals as well, 
I have relationships with them now. And in college and high school and, and elementary and middle school, I was like, these are the greatest people ever. And now we have relationships. You obviously work for a guy that you relative respect. How did you initially take, did you have to just kind of sit there and, and pause when you heard, hey, this is Shannon Terry, um, come work for us. What, what, were your, what was your initial reactions, man? Well, I'll tell you my initial reaction was I sent him to voicemail, just like I did the general manager of the TV station because I didn't recognize the number. So I got a chance to compose myself because I listened to the voicemail and I knew who it was. And I called him back eventually. And by eventually, I mean like five minutes later, I called him back and I was able to at least put on a face of composure. In reality, I had followed him for quite a while. Yeah. And I, so I knew everything there. I mean, I could have recited his bio to him before he ever had called me. And so it was a very big deal. It was a very big deal, but I will tell you this, it, not to sound arrogant at all, it was not unexpected. I'm a very big believer in, in speaking it into existence and imagining it before it happens. And so I had prepared myself and I had told you know some of my friends that I had working with me on the show down there, I said, if we do this at the level we're capable of, and by it, I mean the independent production, if we do this at a high enough level, there's no one else doing what we're even trying to do right now. It's going to get noticed, and people are going to come after us. And so when it happened, it may have happened a little bit sooner than I thought it would, but I was not blown away. I was humbled, but I was not blown away. I was appreciative, but I was not shell-shocked. And so we had a very productive conversation there. I mean, we probably, over the span of 30 minutes, ironed out 90% of what ended up being my initial contract. Oh, wow. And then we finalized some I's and T's and whatnot. But it was very, very validating. But at the same time, I viewed it as validation in a sense of you're on the right track. It wasn't validation in a sense of you've arrived. I don't ever think like that. But when you have someone who, as you accurately stated, touches everything and it tends to turn to gold. Well, that doesn't mean he's got a literal magic touch. It means he's got a really, really good eye for talent and a really good eye for something that's going to work. And so when they give you that nod of approval, that's just validation to put your foot down on the gas even harder. You're on the right track. You're doing some right things. And that's the attitude that I carried when I came here. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got 
got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Josh, you mentioned I's and T's. Do you have your own LLC? Or are you completely under the 24-7 sports umbrella? At this present moment, everything I produce is under the 24-7 sports umbrella, yes. But to answer your other question, that, that would also be a yes, but that's an entirely separate compartment. Okay. How much do you feel like, because it's always the chicken in the egg, and I've heard Clay talk about this when he was at 104.5 The Zone in Nashville, that, yes, they were a major part of him boosting his career, but one thing you notice, he had, a, I think, a, a dental, a doctor that signed like a $100,000 check, and he only got a small percentage of it. And he's like, well, I can just do all this on my own. I've got a big enough name. Outkit became and stuff. Uh, how, how much do you think 24-7 sports has boosted you and your team as a brand at Lake Kick? It's funny. Cause it's really funny you mentioned that, uh, that group of concepts. I spent a vast majority of an afternoon the other day on the phone with clay about this concept Ah, i believe that it has boosted me greatly Uh, distribution is the name of the game impressions and distribution are the names of the respective game in our industry building your tribe was hammered home to me long time ago Uh, that same news director actually that i just spoke of i remember sitting in his office a different time and i remember him telling me when I was presenting all these grand ideas I had, he said, look, I don't want to rain on your parade. I want you to achieve as high as you can achieve, but you need to understand no one knows who you are right now. And he was right. It didn't even hurt my feelings. I knew he was right. That no one knows who you are. So you're telling me you want this big national college football show. That's wonderful. That's the mountaintop though. Show me how you're going to make the climb. How are you going to make people care about what you have to say? And how are you going to build your tribe? Because if I see you come to me right now, you have no leverage. If you came to me with a dedicated following in the millions per month, then that means a whole lot to me. And you can dictate some of your terms. And so, you know, it is a chicken and an egg thing. But really what it comes down to is, do you have something worth listening to? I mean, we are at the very psychological core of what we're trying to do here. And I, don't, I, say, this, I say this tongue in cheek. Uh, so, so take it for what it should be taken for. We are trying to make the most stubborn group of people in the world shut up and listen to you. Sports fans are stubborn. I'm one of them. I know good and well what we are. We are stubborn. Sports fans are the last people to want to shut their mouth and cede their time to listen to someone else talk about sports. Mm-hmm. And it is hard to command that attention. So that's why most people wash out very early in this endeavor. You find out you don't have something that other people think is worth listening to. But if you can crack that, and if you do have something that that group of people is willing to be quiet and give their attention to, 
then you start to build an audience. But from that point, it's about relationship building. It is no different than making a friend at the gym. That's the same way you build an audience. You've got to be authentic. You've got to be genuine. They can see through it in a millisecond. If you're not, you don't fake it until you make it. That is the worst advice anyone in this business can ever give you. No one fakes it and makes it to the top. No one does. When you are building an audience, there is no shortcut to doing it. You don't buy your way to it. You've got to do it the old-fashioned way. That will never change. That's what I've tried to do here. That's what I was doing at my previous stop. When you can build that, and when you've got a brand established, and you've got your tribe built, then you can start talking about what your brand is worth and what you can control in the market. But in the meantime, that was why I was so enamored with the opportunity to come and work for 24-7 and CBS, because those, those are two powerhouse brand names that you're offering the opportunity to rub up against to some guy who just created his own little independent thing not two years before, before that. So that was a golden opportunity, and it has been a golden opportunity. And I'll tell you something else that's extremely rare in our line of work especially, is I had it worked into my contract that I'd have creative control over all content that I produced, and I would have executive producer status over all, over all content that I produced. And to their credit at CBS, these are people who have been doing this longer than I've been alive in some cases. Not one time has anyone stepped in and dictated what I am to do on my show. They have not tried to steer any single topic one direction. They have not given me talking points or told me you can and can't talk about this. There has been none of that. And that's a blessing. I don't take that for granted. I know how rare that is because I've got a lot of friends in this business now at the regional and national level who work under much different parameters. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned that I'm, I'm fortunate where I have a boss that is my co-host. So it's kind of an odd dynamic at times, but he's really lenient. He's not a, a micromanager or anything. I, I think a lot of people, I'm going to be honest, Josh, I didn't know what IP was until the whole collar daddy barstool sports incident and I, <laughs> in, intellectual property all of a sudden became this, like the number one topic of anyone's conversation at the sports bar at the dinner, dinner table, especially with guys. But uh, yeah, I didn't know what that was until that till that thing. So it's always good to have that. Now, I, I was wondering back to kind of the LLC and, and CBS Sports. You guys have Academy on with you. It, are those clients that you have secured, or is that through CBS? Because like one of the things that we've worked out here at Pearson Broadcasting with my boss and me is I get a cut of the advertising I sell on the Morning Rush, trusting the process, whatever it may be. It, it, do you go out and sell? Because that's a relationship aspect that not enough of our listeners and not, not, not enough in sports media know about. So this is a very, uh, it's a very delicate question right now. As, as we started to record today, I had just wrapped up a phone call two minutes prior about this very topic. Obviously, when I came on, I'm not even sitting there thinking about ad sales. I mean, that is so far down the road for me conceptually that I didn't even – I didn't even worry about working in any kind of revenue sharing agreement, nor would I have had the leverage to do that period. Well, we grew the show pretty quickly and we have a very dedicated audience. And what we have, I mean, the number one metric I have with late kick is audience retention. Isn't it like 25 Our, minutes, Josh? Yeah. It's, which is just, it looks like a typo. Yeah. And so when you present that to potential partners, what you're telling them is, this is the most safe investment you could ever make. Uh, and Academy Sports and Outdoors realized that. Well, when I came here, 
We never talked about that. And since I work for a legacy media corporation like CBS, they don't really need direct ad sale dollars. Now, I came from the local news world where every single day, every breath you take is dependent on getting regal jewelers on for uh, you know advertising in the B segment of the 6 p.m. newscast. <laughs> so I was of the mentality that every piece of inventory that can be sold should be sold. Let's maximize the revenue. Well, they weren't doing that with my show because they didn't need to do it. But I still, from a principled standpoint, understood we should have a partner on this show. Well, I talked to sales a couple of times about it, and they said, yeah, don't worry about it. It's fine. And so one night, I, I just go on air. It was in the summer. It was not even a year ago. It was in the summer. I went on air, and I, I pretty much told the truth. CBS didn't know I was going to do it. I went on and said, you know, if you'll look around, you'll notice that we don't have any ad sales here. We don't have any ad reads I do for you. There's no product placement on the set. And I said, that's because we don't technically need to do it. That's, that's the benefit of being out of the independent world and being in this world. But we can do it. And so if you're a regional or national brand out there and you know your demographics and you can probably reasonably assume what our demographics are and you think there's enough overlap and you think it'd be a good partnership, email me. I mean, I give you my personal email address, email me. No sooner had I gotten off air that night then Academy Sports and Outdoors was in my inbox. No way. Because it turns out a lot of people who work there watch the show, and some of them in very high-up positions watch the show. And so, I mean, I, I brought a sales executive that I trust here in, but we pretty much facilitated a deal on our own and had it done within a week or two. Uh, it was a very big, I mean, you know, sizable ad sale. And so we gave them partner status for the for Q4. I mean, we, we very hastily put it together. They had already done most of their Q4 spending. Mm -hmm. And so they found the money to do it. Uh, but that's been very, very beneficial for all of us. I've loved having them on board. But it also leads you to the next question. And the next question is, huh, I wonder if I should be getting some money for this, et cetera, et cetera. And no one really likes to hear you talk about that because oh. it kind of kind of makes you kind of makes you sound selfish. But you also, you know, you want to put yourself in the best earnings position. Yeah. And so that is absolutely something that I am talking with this company right now about. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll leave you there because I don't want to get you in trouble or I don't want you to put you in, a, in an awkward position on that subject. But that is, if I would encourage, because I know, I, I, Josh, I'm not kidding you when I tell you this. I had about five to ten students text me when I put up the news you were coming on. It, students and anyone else in the sports media industry, if there's one thing that you take away from Josh's interview, that right there is probably the most pivotal. And he, he's shared a bunch of great stuff with us to this point, but that right there is very important. All right, Josh, we got rapid fire before we let you out and really appreciate it. You spent about an hour with us, close to it already. This has been fantastic. I think you've got, now last time I checked, you had 85,000 subscribers. What is your end goal on the Late Kick YouTube channel? Can you get a million? Is that in the cards? Yeah, the way I look at that is in terms of scalability, I don't want the product to be exclusive to one platform. And one of the biggest changes that I am going to have made with that show, no matter where I am, is we are going to scale the distribution of this show. Uh, right now, I think we're doing very good work with the show, and our audience has allowed us to do whatever we want to. Mm -hmm. But I think we've scratched the surface in terms of, what that show is capable of week to week overall traffic. 
And right now we do just use the YouTube channel. And I think we do it on Facebook Live too, but that, that's a very fractional piece of our traffic relative to YouTube. I look in the future, and I'm talking with CBS about this as we speak too. Uh, in case you can't tell, I got a contract coming up. Yeah. So I'm talking with them right now about contract that. Contract year. <laughs> there we go. It's a fun season. Uh, but one of the things that I want to do is I want to, I want to maximize the leverage of having the CBS muscle behind my product. And let's make sure that we use every ounce of that. And distribution, I'm telling you, I mean, that word is everything in our business. How many people can you get your product in front of? And you ask, I ask myself every day, if there is a true college football fan out there that has not yet watched my show and does not know about my show, that's my problem. That's my fault. That's not their fault. You, it's not their task to go search for you. It is your task to get your product in front of them. And if you've got the muscle that we do, being the company we are, there's no excuse for us not to be in front of every college football fan. So that is the chore right now. And the fact of the matter is, if there's a guy named Jeff in Pelham, Alabama, who's 38 years old but doesn't really like YouTube, I got to find a way to get to Jeff. Get to him. And I can guarantee you, Jeff may not have heard a late kick, but I can promise you he's heard of 24-7 sports and CBS. And if that's the case, then there's no excuse why we are not getting a property associated with those brands in front of Jeff in Pelham, Alabama. And so that's the task. And so I don't know if I have a specific numerical goal for subscribers on one specific platform. I do know that in a bundling concept, I want to be able to maximize that leverage within this next calendar year. And you bleed into a concept that I've really been pushing here at ESPN Arkansas, that the younger audience, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, hitthatline.com, also our podcast, which have tripled along with the other sort. I mean, that is what we're pushing because we're trying to get that younger audience and like kind of your shit because we had the, the older demographics and the middle-aged demographics, but we want those younger audience as well. All right, Josh, we got about two or three minutes left. I'm going to roll through these quick, see if you can do it in about 10 to 15 seconds. What is your best Pate sighting that you've had behind the coach? What would you say is the one that you remember the most? I would say it's got to be the Ed Orgeron hate to see it from the 2019 SEC championship game. Uh, this is going to go longer than 15 seconds. Spoiler alert. So it was, it was a time where I was still down in Columbus. This is one of the last memories that I have of Columbus was the SEC championship game. So you got that Joe Burrow LSU team. They're en route to winning a national title. Well, they played Georgia in the SEC title game. And I'm growing up in Georgia. A ton of my buddies are Georgia fans. And I, it, it is so clear to me LSU is going to win. And my Georgia buddies were having none of it. And, I mean, they got militant that week. You should have seen my text. And so I told them, look, this is going to happen, first off. And secondly, when it does, I don't know if you realize it, but I get field credentials now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you pay for it. And so, sure enough, LSU does what they did. And I position myself behind Ed Orgeron, and I mouth the words, plain as day, you hate to see it. And I had a buddy at home record it and make a GIF out of it. Which oh, still I've lives seen that today. GIF. Yeah, I've seen yeah, that GIF. I use it all the time. And there was, a, there was a relatively small group of people who got it, but the ones who did get it, some of which have still not come back and spoken to me, it really meant the world that I was able to rub it in like that. Golly. All right, duck or deer hunting? You mentioned camo earlier. Everyone in Columbus has it. Duck or deer hunting? Deer. Deer? Deer. There's nothing like backstrap to me. Is banana pudding the best dessert on planet Earth? Apparently, uh, Miss Teresa and Buckets have made some good stuff over the years. Yes, yes. Uh, it's embarrassing to the point where the last time, the last two times she has made me banana pudding, 
I've eaten it like an ape. I've eaten it with my hand out of the receptacle it's in, in the vehicle. I have not even gotten home and used the spoon. So in the most knuckle-dragging manner I can possibly answer that question in, yes. Even better than Rice Krispie Treats? I think even better than Rice Krispie Treats, yes. But I'm not turning either down, but yes. (laughs) Uh, Best train story. Was it the Notre Dame trip, or was it, what, what would you say? So road trip story or train story? I had down, they were telling me trains. I just assumed that meant road trips, but apparently you have a fascination with trains too. Well, I do. And uh, so I have to be very generic in this answer. But when I was growing up, you know, obviously you don't have a lot of disposable income, but that doesn't mean you can't have fun. And one of the ways that we chose to have fun was hopping freight trains. (laughs) And so we would do it very, very short line. Back home, we would just, there was a little rock quarry near where I lived, and they would send a nightly unit up and back, so about 20 miles. So we would ride that rock quarry train. We would sit on top of the ballast, the rock, and we would just ride to Columbus. Well, then you get a little older, you get a little more adventurous, up to and including present day. And so you learn radio frequencies, and you learn routes, and you learn different manifests that come through in intermodal traffic. And so, um, you know, you want some scenery? You want a little thrill and adrenaline in your life? I have been one to be known to do that even to this day. And that's, again, for obvious reasons, as specific as I can get on that. Oh, gosh, man. You got too much to lose. <laughs> uh, uh, Josh, last uh, last one before a serious question. You live in Nashville now. I was li- living there for over a year. Loved living there. I'm actually going back in two weeks, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, to see some friends. What is the best bar and what is the best restaurant in Nashville, Tennessee for Josh Pate's money? Yeah, I'm so ill-equipped to answer this. Here's what happened. First off, I don't go to any bars ever, so I have no clue what the answer there is. But the restaurant scene, and I'm ashamed to say this, when I got here, it was right before COVID. Okay. So we had, first off, we had a tornado hit here, killed a lot of people. It really messed up our neighborhood. And so we had that. And then right afterwards, COVID hits and everything shuts down. And the weird part is, I'm not one of these isolationists, far from it. I mean, I go out as soon as I can, but I have not really partaken in the entire national restaurant scene yet, even though everything's open again. And so there are a few places I've been, like downtown on Broadway, there are some places I've been, some of these places I forget the names of. Uh, 60 Vines is a really good place down just off Broadway. So there are some places I've been, but I know good and well there are like 10 places minimum that I would love and use as the answer right now. Had I been there that I just haven't been to yet. All right. Well, I'll, uh, I, I guess if, if I'm going to be there in two weeks and you got some free time, we don't have to go to lunch or dinner to see if we can get you more, uh, ingratiated with the Nashville food because man, I live in there. I, I ate plenty. Let me tell you, uh, Josh, last thing you kind of stressed it earlier, get your show, get your content out, on as many platforms as humanly possible with CBS. And one of the things I've noticed about you, and I've always appreciated this, yes, you're the host, yes, you're the executive producer, but you say we, right? And people are like, well, who's we? I only see Josh. There's no one else ever on the show. You always credit your staff, your the guy, your coworkers, your employees in situations. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know their names. I just know that they do a heck of a job with the graphics and the rundowns and everything like that. So what is your end goal with Late Kick? What, what is your end goal with your staff? And, and, and why do you specifically single them out when other people don't necessarily do that in this industry? Well, number one, 
when I say we, I'm talking about my staff and I'm talking about the audience and I'm referring to them in the plural because there's nothing I can do without any of them. And so it, to me, it's natural to say we. I heard, I remember uh, Nick Saban a long time ago saying, the only time people need to hear I is when there's blame being taken. And at that point, if there's blame to be taken, if we screw something up, yes, that can be on I, that can be on me. But when there's credit to be taken or given, I guess, uh, that's a we thing. So there's nothing that I'm able to do that we did not do. Uh, that's part one. And that, that applies far beyond just your professional life, by the way. Part number two, I want this to be a brand that transcends just college football. I want, I want our show and I want our brand to be something that is a fixture in people's lives, that is part of the fabric of their day-to-day or week-to-week. I'll tell you what humbled me the most this past year and a half, two years that I never would have expected is, you know, I'm a very big believer that God gives all of us abilities, talents in certain areas. I mean, I can't draw to save my life. Maybe you're an artist, but there are things we all can do. What you have to do is you have to actually use those and harness those into doing good work and impactful work. And you never know how it can benefit someone. So, I, I mean, I'm able, for whatever reason, to talk about college football in a very, in a very uh, positive manner and that people tend to like. Well, when I, um, when I started giving out my email address, I quickly realized people were going to use that as a conduit to talk to me because they, they had forged a relationship with me, which is the goal mm-hmm. in uh, any entertainment field. And they, they really felt that they could confide in me. And I cannot tell you how many thousands upon thousands of people have reached out over the past couple of years to say, I just want you to know, I don't like my life right now. I hate my job or, or my marriage is on the rocks or we got all kind of different just life dramas going on. This show right here, listening to your show every day, that's the one constant. That's the one thing that I look forward to. It's the one thing that can keep me sane. Now, I never would have expected that. I, I, I had no clue that talking about Arkansas versus Texas A&M would mean that to somebody. But I didn't need to know it, okay, because someone else much higher above me could have known that. It's just up to me to do the work I'm capable of doing. And so what I want to do with the brand is I want to take that, never lose its authenticity, but I want to scale that as much as we can while still being authentic. And whatever that means is whatever that means. I'm I very much have our future planned in pencil because you got to be able to adjust. But you also, I can't see around the bend. I wouldn't have even known two years ago, this is where we'd be right now. So I've got a very general, got a very general destination, but the GPS, it's up to that GPS to send me on whatever specific route we're going to go on to get there. Josh, this was awesome, phenomenal. Uh, I know a lot of our listeners that will be listening to this on the Hit That Line Line Podcast Network appreciate everything, especially that last part of this. Uh, Thank you so much for for joining us, giving up. I know you're busy. Your your time is precious, so thanks for giving up over an hour of it, and uh, we'll leave it there. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. All right, great great stuff again from Josh. Make sure you're subscribing to our Hit That Line podcast network. Just search that Hit That Line wherever you listen to podcasts. For Josh Pay, 24-7 sports, at Late Kick Josh. I'm Ty Richardson. And remember, whatever line of work you're in, make sure you're always trusting the process. All right, so again, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Let me know what you think about that. 
Uh, JoshPate706 at gmail.com. You know the social handle at Late Kick Josh. I appreciate you guys listening. I've already kept you for over an hour, as you can clearly see. We'll have the Late Kick Extra podcast coming up this week. Also got a lot going on. Signing days next week. Make sure you are locked on those social channels. Until next time, have yourselves a great rest of your day, and God bless. of sports mixed with your pop culture along with humor and celebrity interviews your earbuds are enjoying the rich eisen show dan orlovsky are you still a Jaden daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy i think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one i think his ball placement for his man coverage is the best in the draft every quarterback in the nfl is accurate he's got the best on tape number two most transferable stuff to the nfl and then i think the third thing is pocket peace search for the rich eisen show on youtube or wherever you listen